1: Nordic Crimes is a part of the ACAST family.
0: One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes.
1: Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt.
0: Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parents' plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best.
1: Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today.
0: This call is from a correction facility and is subject to monitoring and recording.
1: Hello? Karen Newell, how are you?
0: Oh my God! you know how hard it is trying to reach you? Trying to reach me? <laughs> I had to reserve this phone.
1: Oh really?
0: <laughs> yes, I had to reserve this telephone and everything to get this call through.
1: Hello and welcome back to One Minute Remaining My name is Jack Lawrence, the host and creator of this show Today is a catch-up with a lady whose story we just finished Now, of course, I don't usually do catch-ups with someone this quickly after finishing their story However, my interview that you heard with Karen Newell actually took place last year And there's been a few things happening with Karen at the facility So I wanted to check in with her for a quick catch-up So before we jump into this catch up with Karen, I think it gives me a great opportunity to address a few questions and comments that popped up in our Facebook group during her story going out. So it's fair to say Karen's story is one that came with some very strong opinions from many, many people, which is great. That's the whole point of this show it's to create conversation and opinions and thoughts and and that's what I want. Now, one of the comments we had in the Facebook group brought up a brilliant point which I wanted to address. It essentially said that, obviously, up until now, the stories that we've presented have been extremely thought-provoking, a number of which have been extremely emotionally charged, and in many cases have highlighted some incredible miscarriages of justice. So the main question posed was, do I think it's fair that Karen be allowed to have the same platform in which to share her story as a large portion of the audience believe in her guilt? So there's a number of responses to that, but the first thing I want to say is, as you know, from the very, very beginning, this show has never been about innocence or guilt. From the very start, I've always said it's about allowing these men and women to tell their story, how they say things happened. Now, will everyone we interview who says they're innocent be innocent? No, of course not. And I know that. This show is about stories. The belief of innocence or guilt, I leave up to you. That's your job, not my job. My job is to bring you stories. Now, what I will say as well is, you know, with this story, yes, a lot of people, um, a high percentage of people, believe in Karen's guilt. But there's also stories where the large majority of the group believe in someone's innocence. Evaristo Salas Jr. And then we have stories where people are, uh, some people believe in innocence and other people strongly believe in their guilt. Uh, And then we have other stories such as Jason Vukovic where you have people who agree with what what he did, others who strongly disagree, and then there's people on the fence. So, And that's the point of this show. That is the whole essence of this show is bringing these different stories and having these different opinions and thoughts and and comments and, and sparking those conversations that I see all the time in the Facebook group, which is what brings me such pride with this show is seeing you have these conversations you know, strong opinions uh, either way. So I will never turn down someone and their story because I think they're lying. That's not what I'm here to do. I will ask them questions. I will listen to their answers and I will probably pose more questions. But if I don't believe that answer is true, I'm not going to call them out on it. I'm not going to say I think they're lying. I'm not going to say I think they're guilty. That would not be me being unbiased. And we'll be going against the whole point of why I created this show. On that note, I want to say a huge thank you to the OMR listener who posted that comment. It was a fantastic point uh, and has given me the opportunity to address such a big topic with this show. So in saying all of that, let's catch up with our polarising guest, Karen Newell. Hey, look, we obviously haven't oh. spoken for a while on the phone, so, I mean, we haven't even spoken, I don't think, this yeah. this year, so Happy New Year and all the rest of this. Yeah, yeah,
0: Happy New Year, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> what did Dee Dee say on the phone? Oh. I mean, what is she, what's happening with her case?
1: You know what Dee Dee's like, she's, uh, she's very positive about um, what's going to be happening and, Um, She couldn't tell me too much. So incarcerated men and women in the United States appear to have quite a lot of freedom when it comes to being in contact with the outside world. A large number of facilities across the US now have tablets that the men and women can purchase in which to keep in touch with what's happening outside, listen to music, playing some games, even listening to podcasts. And of course, emailing friends and family on the outside. However, one thing they can't do is communicate with other incarcerated men and women who are not in their facilities, or even ones that have been moved to different areas of the same prison. So I have, in recent times, become a bit of a messenger between people who have become separated. One of these occasions happened early one morning when I got a call from Doris Moore from prison. Prior to her being relocated to the jail she's in now, she told me that her friend Karen had collapsed and had been rushed out of the prison and sent to hospital. None of the ladies can, of course, contact Karen and had no idea what had happened to her or even if she was still alive. So Doris asked me to try and get in touch with her to see that she was okay. Karen had gone into cardiac arrest inside the dorm and an emergency medical team was brought in and rushed her to hospital. We obviously haven't had a, obviously I not had a proper chat, um, or we haven't. You know, we've only spoken via the uh, prison messaging system. Um, now, a lot's happened with you over the last sort of few months or so. You know, I know you had a, a health issue. Can you tell me what happened there?
0: Um, yes, I um, I was so dehydrated that my heart went into cardiac failure because I was severely to the point of way beyond dehydration, and I guess it shut my heart down, and I didn't realize I was so dehydrated. And I was just basically overworking myself to the point that I collapsed and went into cardiac arrest and had to be revived and was taken to by EMS to outside hospital in Ocala.
1: Wow. That must have been terrifying.
0: Yeah, it was terrifying. It truly was. (laughs) Because, you know, I'm just a workaholic, so I didn't realize I was depleting my body that much of water. I mean, they had like five IVs running, trying to pump back in fluids into me in the two days. (laughs) <laughs> that I was like on uh, fluids there. It was crazy. Like I had IVs running out of everywhere <laughs> trying to get fluids back in
1: me. So how long were but, you yeah, in the hospital for?
0: Five days. Then I went back to the prison and I spent another five days in the infirmary.
1: So what's it like being in there?
0: Um, not nice. I mean, it's not very sanitary. It's chaotic. There's, I mean, there's no rest. <laughs> I mean, there's people going in and out all night long, all day long. They keep the lights on from... 5 a.m. to 11 p.m. So it's like there's no resting as far as they want you to recuperate. I'm like, just send me back to the dorm. Oh, my God, I'll get more rest there than here. Yeah. This is not a, a resting zone. This is a stress zone. You know, I'm trying to make sure that I stay hydrated and I'm trying to make sure that I exercise and and don't overdo it, which is you know, not what I'm doing right now. I'm actually just overdoing it. I was trying to do the laundry quickly so that I could get, all, get this phone call in on time. So um, now my coworker is trying to hand out what clothes are left because it was like four days' worth of laundry, Friday, Saturday, Sunday and Monday because Monday was a holiday, Memorial Day. I had four days' worth of clothes piled up.
1: Other than that drama, there's been a few more changes at the facility with a few people we know having moved around, one of those being Kimberly Boone. So um, I hear there's, there's, um, we've had a few changes there as well. I believe Kim's no longer at that facility.
0: I think maybe she went over to the main unit. I was told
1: she sent me a message saying she'd been moved to a different area.
0: She she got out of the incentive program. She was in the incentive just like Dee Dee and I was. I signed out of that program because it was just uh, too overwhelming and it was being poorly run and it was too just too much going on that shouldn't have been going on for it to have been an incentive program which was supposed to be something that is a privilege, something that was supposed to build you up and make you feel like you earned it, but it was totally the opposite. It was very abusive verbally, physically. I was like, no, I'm not ruining my parole by staying in this program. Let me just get out of here, signed up out of there.
1: I've heard from Amelia in the past that they um, they hold the incentivized program over your head, sort of threatening you with it all the time.
0: Yes, they do. Yes, they absolutely do. You know, they dangle it, right, like you said, they dangle it over your head as like, oh, well, you're incentive, so you better not do this, or you better not do that. It's like, it's very stressful. I don't want to do my time like that. Yeah, not to just use a microwave. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know, it's not worth it to me.
1: So Karen has removed herself from the incentivized program where inmates are given more freedom, bigger recreational area more TVs, and a few creature comforts. So you can imagine how bad a situation must be for someone to opt out of those creature comforts and choose to go back to general population, which is where Karen is now. Where have you moved to?
0: I'm in R2 dorm. I'm in general population. And one of the only dorms actually practically still on this compound that is open day general population. The rest are two man cells, which is Sierra dorm and Mike dorm. This is the only one that is open day.
1: So you're in a sort of big, almost like a warehouse type thing, situation with bunks?
0: Right, yes, and I'm absolutely the very first bed, so I catch all, everything. (laughs) (laughs) Everything that's going on, I get, I'm like right on Jump Street.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and there there would be absolutely no privacy at all whatsoever, would there?
0: None, not even when you're in the shower half the time, no, (laughs) it's practically nothing.
1: Tricky business. No privacy at all.
0: You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
1: As we know from our last episode with Karen, her one opportunity to be free again is with her parole, which was attached to her sentence. And it seems they recently had some positive steps at the prison with the actual parole board visiting the ladies. So, what is happening with your case? Where where are we at? Because I know, obviously, the last time we spoke, you were discussing that the the whole the plan was to bring that parole period forward, so you didn't have to wait as long to be able to go for parole. So, where are we at with that? What's happening?
0: Um, something that's never happened before in the whole women's institution in over never. Just I mean, even the whole fifty years, this prison is even being enacted. The parole board came on um, the fifteenth of this past month, May fifteenth. And like I said, the chairman of the parole board actually came here with her whole entourage and the state representative, one of the female state representatives came and a lot of big dignitaries. And they actually, we put on a program for them showing them everything that we've learned in this lifers um, women's group. Again, this has never happened as far as the women's prisons. The men have had this for over 20 years. They've had a, a lifers program where... They have all of these advantages, but this is the first time that we have actually had it happen for us. And so they actually were very impressed with what we presented, and they even wanted that they took pictures with us. We didn't even expect that because we were told, you know, just to present our our program, We're, we're not to talk to them unless they talk to us. And we found that they were very forthright. They came right up to us and started asking questions and started talking to us like you know like we were one on one which is a big deal Jack because to to them in the past we're just a number that goes across their desk every 7 years. Yeah. You know what I'm saying we're not even a face. We're and we're not even a human. We're just a number 363405. We just that's all we are when we come across their desk. Now we've humanized us to them by showing them we repeatedly said our names as we did our presentations. And this way, they now they have a face to go with my na- my number. So it was it's a, it was a huge deal.
1: Last time I spoke with Karen, she was actually unable to share any details of her potential parole dates with me. However, this time she's been able to let me know that she is in fact eligible for parole as early as next year. Do you have a parole date?
0: Yeah, mine is in next year. So I you- actually have my next year. So right as I'm graduating. It's going to fit
1: right, perfect. Right. Okay. So you, I will be be rolling
0: right up to them right as I graduate because mine's in April of next year.
1: Right. Eligible for parole April of twenty twenty-four. Right. That's obviously quite a huge thing for you. I mean, it's sort of almost a light at the end of the tunnel because you've been incarcerated now for how many years? Twenty,
0: almost twenty-nine.
1: It's a long, long time, obviously. You know, and it's um yeah, it is. What sort of feelings have you got about a potential release? I mean, is there Is there nerves around that possibility, or is it pure just excitement?
0: It's a a little bit of both, but mostly it's excitement and knowing that there's hope. We haven't had hope for so long, and now we have hope that we too can meet the criteria to get out. We don't have to just think, oh, you had a life sentence, you're never getting out of here, which has been the criteria for so long. It's like one plucked out of a thousand. <laughs> yeah. So now, I mean, there's a hope and a chance of it being not just one. It could be all of us because we're doing this program that the parole board is so behind. I mean, the chairman of, of the board, Miss Kumaran, it was so wonderful. She was so outgoing, so friendly, so engaging. I mean, we never, ever expected that. I mean, we were, like, nervous, like, cause it, we didn't want to offend them in any way because... We were given so many strict um, restraints of saying, you know, don't do this. Don't make eye contact with them unless they come up to you. Don't try to engage in them. Whatever you do, don't talk about your crime. That's not what they're here for. You know what I'm saying? It was like we were in a box.
1: <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah.
0: And then they came up and they were so engaging. It was like, oh, my God, the box is opening. Pandora's box.
1: I mean, and these obviously these people hold your life in their hands, essentially. You know, they, they, they're the difference between you getting out yes. of there or you never getting out of there.
0: Exactly. So, and you know, and it pays that you have to be on your Ps and Qs. You have to endure abuse when you you know you shouldn't have to, but you sometimes you just have to adhere the verbal and the physical abuse here in order to meet the criteria, in order to get out of here. You just have to, you know, turn the other cheek.
1: What would your plan be? Um, say, you know, April twenty twenty four rolls around, and you know you're granted parole and and you're able to leave. What what's what's your plan? on the outside. Do you have one?
0: Well, um, the parole requires us as a part of our release to go to a transitional house for six to um, six months to a year. They want to see how you're going to transition back into society. I mean, that is a criteria. So, I mean, I would have to take it from there. You got to get accepted. I was given actually a list today of the houses that are transitional for women. Mm-hmm. So I would start having to write now to see if they would have room for me Upon
1: my time for release, you know, being being in prison for as long as you have, we're talking back in the nineties. You know, a lot has changed on the outside um, since your incarceration. Yes. <laughs> you know, there's there's technology now that was wasn't around when you're incarcerated. You know, I mean, early nineties, there wasn't really even many mobile phones getting around, and now we walk around with uh, with iPhones that are you know, there's more t- technology in our pocket. They say than there was in the uh, the the rocket where they went up to the moon. Um, so does that sort of, (laughs) does that, does that stress you out at all, all of that stuff?
0: Well, you know, I watch, I watch the TV and so I keep up on the technology that's there and on, in the magazines, you know, the entrepreneur magazines. So Mm. I pretty much know what's out there, but having used it will be a whole different ballpark.
1: One thing I do, like there's, there's one gentleman who I chat with, he's in, in Washington state. Um, he's been incarcerated since he was 15. He's Uh now, he's now 42. Um, but he's he's also looking at wow. he's also looking at a release date coming up very soon. In fact, a couple of years time, uh, he would have served his entire sentence. Good God! Um, so he um, wow he's on his way out. But he. Um, one thing he was telling me was when he was convicted of his crime, there was obviously a fine attached to that. And while he was in prison, that fine has been accumulating interest. And it was it was $15,000, it's now $80,000. Do you have anything like that attached to your sentence?
0: No, that was one thing that I made sure of the, um, during my sentencing that I didn't have any type of restitution because all court costs were waived. And there was no restitution because
1: oh, as part of, of the your fact pl- that plea bargain
0: was paid off.
1: But that was all part of your plea bargain, right? A lot, a lot of people in your situation get sort of put away, and there's no chance of ever getting out. So, do I suppose to have that light at the end of the tunnel, so to speak? It must be, um, it must feel good. It's really not that long away, to, to be fair, is it?
0: It's it's something to strive for now. Like I said before, we didn't even have that to strive for. It's just. Yeah, it's a huge light at the end of the tunnel that is obtainable.
1: One thing people might be wondering is about just how Karen has got parole being an inmate in Florida. As we know from stories such as David Talley, Florida has done away with the parole system and inmates now have to serve a minimum of 85% of their sentence. I've been told in the past that Florida doesn't have a system of parole in place, so obviously you guys have got that system in place.
0: Right, because we're under the old guidelines. I am a 65 percenter, which means I only serve 65% of my time. Right. The ladies that are coming into prison now are under the 85%, so there is no parole for them, but there is for me.
1: So when you got sentenced, it was a case of you had to serve a minimum of 65% of your sentence, whereas now they've moved that to 85%. Right.
0: Actually, within a week of my being sentenced, yeah, oh. that that eighty five percent came into play.
1: Wow, that was lucky.
0: I just made it under the
1: wire. So obviously, you'll have to stay in the Florida uh, Florida area once your time is up. Um, at staying one of these uh, the, one of these facilities on the outside, do you plan on leaving Florida? Right. Or?
0: When I'm given permission by them, and you know, you can always go up and have your your parole reviewed. Once you're out there, you know, you have more access to. To advocates and everything who can advocate for you to get off of there so it is possible.
1: Would you want to do also do some travelling yes. t- trips?
0: Yes, actually your country is one of the very places I've always wanted to go.
1: Well there oh. you go Australia is uh, Australia. Is calling Karen Newell
0: <laughs> I know right? Come on, come on You have one minute remaining.
1: So Karen is in high spirits and is hopeful that she will be granted her parole next year and she can return home We will, of course, keep in touch to see just how she gets on. One Minute Remaining is a mash Pumpkin production. Produced, hosted and created by Jack Lawrence. Editing and sound design by Jack Lawrence and Dom Evans. This show is part of the ACAST Creator Network.